Today's episode contains depictions of violence and murder against Indigenous people. We ask that you use your best judgment before listening. If you are an Indigenous person, please consider a form of self-care after listening. Thank you. It was just before 5 o'clock in the morning in Lumberton, North Carolina, when a call came in to the 911 dispatch. Law enforcement were informed that there was a suicide at the Econo Lodge Motel in room 121. And when investigators entered the room, there was Kimberly Nicole Smith, shot in the back of the head and unconscious, and her boyfriend Freddie standing nearby who said he had been shot in the stomach. This is the Red Justice Project. Lost a life today. Folks try their best, but sometimes it's just hard to explain. Kimberly Nicole Smith was a 24-year-old mother of two boys. She was close with her sister and her aunts and her papa and pretty much all of her family. She grew up in Lumberton, North Carolina, just like our co-host, Brittany. Didn't you tell me you always wished she was I ain't said that a day in my life, I promise. Lord, she's already lying, y'all. I don't know what we're going to do with her. But anyways... One look at Kim, and it's clear that she was very beautiful. She had this, like, really pretty pecan tan, as Lumbees like to describe it. And on one of her Facebook profiles, her name was actually Little Pecan, because that was her nickname growing up, along with the name Kimmy Poo, which was also another one of her Facebook names. I wonder why she had so many Facebook accounts. I was kind of wondering that myself, but I'm not really sure. I used to have two, so I could, like, play Farmville when that was a thing, but now I just have one. But in early 2017, Kim started dating Frederick Kane, who most people call Freddie. And if you look at Freddie's Facebook page, he wrote a lot of, like, very sweet statuses about Kim on there, saying that he was proud of her and telling everybody how much he loves her. And Chelsea, can you just read what he wrote about her on February the 4th, 2020? Freddie said, I'm so blessed to have a woman named Kimberly Smith. She's my best friend. She's my everything. I love her so much. And he also had a lot of other statuses just like that, too. And he writes a lot about his mama and his sister, too, and how much he also loved them. So Kim's with Freddie, and soon she gets pregnant with her first child, a baby boy. And from Facebook, it looks like there was a lot of drama between her and Freddie's 
ex and the ex was not happy about the baby and she made it known on Kim's status, um, you know, when she was announcing her pregnancy. So Kim gives birth to her son and names him Frederick Kane Jr. And he's honestly all the cutest little thing. He has these big, gorgeous blue eyes. And Kim's Aunt Ella, who she called May May, tells us that she really loved being a mama and she took really good care of the baby and would always have him clean and um, also really well-dressed. But unfortunately, though Kim was happy being a mom, her and Freddie's relationship was not as picture-perfect as he portrayed it on Facebook. He apparently cheated on Kim during their entire relationship, including during her pregnancy, which is honestly probably the worst time you can ever cheat on a woman. And after the baby's birth, Freddie apparently took things even farther than, you know, infidelity. He even expected Kim to be in a relationship with him and his ex, who we mentioned earlier. But before we get into that story, we need to give you a little bit more background into Freddie. So apparently Freddie was using drugs and would also sell them occasionally. And he didn't do any other type of work during him and Kim's relationship. And he kind of lived from place to place. And so even though Kim had always been stable and had stable housing and a tight-knit family who she had lived with her whole life, Kim started living wherever Freddie would live. So they used to live in a trailer park but got kicked out because Freddie was stealing power. And then things got bad and they started staying in abandoned houses or in cars. And so one particular night, Freddie decided that he was going to go see his ex, but not only just to cheat on Kim, but also for Kim to go with him. Like we said before, he wanted to be in a relationship with both women, and apparently he forced Kim to stay there with him and his ex. So Kim actually did end up staying there with her baby for just one night, but Freddie kept pushing her um, farther and farther, even though she was already, you know, extremely uncomfortable with the situation. So then he told her that she could either do what he wanted her to do or get out. And so that's what she did. She left walking with her little baby boy. And she was somewhere off of Rennert Road walking towards Lumberton when an older lady saw her and picked her up and dropped her off at a house in town. And Kim was there with her baby when soon after somebody made a DSS report. And so the state actually came and took away Kim's baby from her. Oh, I can't even imagine, you know, getting cheated on constantly fleeing a toxic situation and then, you know, having your youngin taken away from you, it had to be a really hard time for her. Yeah, and honestly, things just keep getting worse and worse from there. So at this time, Kim is also battling with addiction issues herself, and her and Freddie do end up reconciling, and Kim actually gets pregnant again, and she loses custody of this new baby immediately due to the custody issues from losing her first child. And her Aunt Ella told us that she was taking the classes necessary to be reunified with her babies and would buy them things and visit them, but that on those visits, Freddie would come with her, he would be high and would embarrass her and obviously make them look even worse. And at this time, her and Freddie are living, you know, they're still living in different places like we mentioned earlier, and then they actually did start living with Kim's papa. But just like everything else in their relationship, Freddie made sure that that did not last. So in addition to being unfaithful and not working, Freddie was also physically abusive to Kim. And this is her Aunt Ella talking about one particular black eye that Kim had. Um, Kimberly started living with, with her papa. Well, at her papa's house, Kim had even come up with black eyes and stuff like that. But she would lie to everybody. 
and tell them that she fell in the bedroom and hit the corner of the table. She would never tell them, you know, that he blacked her eye and this and that. He would try to sell drugs up out of my Uncle Wayne's house, honey. I mean, he just thought he ruled that place around there. And I'm sure a lot of y'all are probably thinking, I wouldn't cover for no man if he hit me. But honestly, you never know what you'll do in that situation. It seems like he kind of wore her down little by little, first with the cheating, both behind her back and in her face, belittling her and making her do things she never would have done before, like sleeping in abandoned houses in the cold. And so he just kept chipping away, not only at her confidence, but at her ability to make good decisions. And I'm sure that she was also probably, you know, scared of him too. But now let me tell y'all one thing. Kim's Aunt Ella, she don't play, okay? Here, I want y'all to listen to her talking about one particular confrontation that she had with Freddie. And I told him, I said, you leave him from here, buddy. I, and I mean, that was some ugly stuff said. I cussed that boy out. I, I tried to get him and everything, and he ran from me. And I told him, I said, why don't you be a man? I said, hit me. I said, hit a real woman. I said, you want to beat on poor old little Kim? I mm-hmm. said, but you, you, won't, you won't face me. Right. And honey, I went after him, and he took off running and hit a ditch back in some woods over there across from my uncle's house. Aunt Ella is definitely the goat, and I would not mess with her. Straight facts, no chaser. Straight callers, no chow chow. Did you really just say that? Uh, yes. <laughs> we so, need to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> yes, we really do. So after that, y'all, Freddie was just showing his whole rump at Kim's papa's house. Kim's papa is just like, look, buddy, you know, you got to go. Kim, you can stay here. You can always stay here if you want to. But old boy has got to go. But unfortunately, y'all, Kim would not stay without Freddie. She said that she felt bad because he had nobody, which, you know, is partly his own fault because obviously people are trying to help him, just like Kim's papa, but he keeps acting up and burning bridges, you know, wherever he goes. And Kim's aunt said she begged her to leave Freddie alone. And I begged that young and I said, Kim, please leave him. Just please, because I knew something was going to happen. But... Kim was caught up in a trap that so many women, especially Native women, get caught up in. Robinson County actually has the highest rate of domestic violence in the state of North Carolina. In many cases, this kind of violence is seen as the norm. I remember one time when I was working at Lumberton High School, I had a student whose boyfriend was hitting her. And she had confided that in her mama, and her mama told her, she said, baby, this is just something that sometimes women have to go through. And that mess just broke my heart, y'all, because I felt like it was normalized for her by the person who was supposed to tell her that it was not okay. And, you know, who would tell her that she'd help her get out of the situation, but that's not what her mama did. No, and it's definitely not something my mama would say. She would be like, "Uh uh-uh, where are we going? We're fighting right now. Right. Um, But in Kim's case, she had those people trying to help her out, but Freddie had wove a hell of a web around Kim and she just found it so hard to let go. But one of the things that I believe is that people always return to what they know is right. Amina Gafar said a seed planted today won't bloom today. So Kim knew what she needed to do and she started making plans. Kim got a job at the local IGA, which is a local grocery store chain. And Kim's manager said her work ethic was out of this world. She said she'd never knew someone so young who worked like that. And she said she could call Kim last minute, even 10 minutes before she needed her to be there. And Kim would show up, even if she had to walk. 
And around this same time, Kim started telling people that she is going to leave Freddie, which is a huge change from her saying that she couldn't even leave him for one night. So she gets as many hours as she can possibly get at the IGA. Even though Freddie would actually call the store and cuss her out and embarrass her, she, you know, she's still hustling and doing what she has to do to make money. And then she stopped living in abandoned houses and she instead started renting rooms in motels and she even got a rental car and she's paying for all of this herself. But when she was at work, Freddie actually met another girl who lived at the motel and would bring her into him and Kim's room and would even let the girl drive the rental car that Kim was paying for. And in addition to not working and cheating and being abusive, Freddie also financially abuses Kim. So most abusers don't just choose one way to abuse you. They'll typically engage in different forms of abuse. So Freddie is also keeping Kim's money from her and he's using it for himself, which makes it even harder for Kim to leave him. And all of this comes to a boiling point on June 11th. At 4.43 a.m., a call comes into the dispatch. We're not sure if it was Freddie or a motel resident who made the call. The caller said that someone committed suicide and reported shots fired at the Econo Lodge Motel in Lumberton. And when officers arrive, Freddie is clutching his stomach and says he's been shot. Kim is laying unconscious, but she's still alive with a bullet to the back of her head. And this is what Freddie claims. He tried to tell the detectives that, um, that they had gotten to an argument, had been fighting and stuff like that, and that he, he supposedly told Kim that he didn't want her anymore and that he didn't love her anymore, and she told him that she was going to kill herself if um, he didn't want to be with her no more and if he didn't love her and this and that. Freddie told detectives that she tried to shoot him, but the bullet grazed his stomach. Both he and Kim are taken to the hospital, and the medics want Kim to be airlifted, but the weather didn't permit it. So she was rushed to Cape Fear Hospital in Fayetteville, which is about 30 minutes from Lumberton. And so sometime after, Freddie was questioned by the police, and he claimed that Kim shot at him, and then she shot herself in the head. He told detectives that he pulled the clip out of the gun, but apparently left a bullet in the chamber. But this doesn't make sense because he claimed she shot the gun twice, which would be impossible if the clip was out. There would have only been one bullet. And the wound that was on Freddie that he claims to be from the bullet grazing him ends up being a superficial wound that did not come from a bullet at all. Also, Kim was shot in the back of her head on her left side, but Kim was right-handed. I'm seeing so many similarities to the Casey Young story that we told last year. Yeah, exactly. And also, I imagine that shooting yourself in the back of, of the head would be pretty hard, even if you used your dominant hand. And while this questioning is happening, you know, while the police are questioning Freddie, Kim is still in the hospital. And this is how her Aunt Ella found out. We didn't know anything about her being shot or anything until it was probably a few minutes till 8 o'clock that morning. Um, I have a friend that works at um, Motel 6, and <clears throat> she sent her boyfriend here to tell me that Kim had been shot because the word had started spreading around over there around the motels. So who did the police contact at first? when They, they didn't contact anybody, girl. Oh That's what I couldn't believe. Oh my God, which is just wild, but when her aunt gets to the motel just a few hours after Kim was shot, she did not see a single crime scene investigator. No crime scene tape, nothing. Everyone was gone. 
So then she calls the police and spoke to a detective. And he actually told her that Kim was dead. But Kim was still alive. And this was just so wild to me that he told her that. Like, what in the world? So finally, the hospital calls Kim's biological mother at around 10 a.m., five hours after the shooting, and told her that Kim was at Cape Fear Hospital, 30 minutes away, and that medical decisions needed to be made. And I wish that we could tell you a different story. That a miracle happened, that she woke up, that she got her children back, that she kept working and got her own place and that she was sitting beside her Aunt Ella right now laughing with her babies at her side. But I can't tell you that story because at around 11 a.m. that morning, Kim passed away. When Kim's aunt spoke to the doctor, the, actu the doctor actually told her that Kim had been beaten before her death and that the wound to her head was not self-inflicted. After Kim passed, investigators continued to question Freddie. And you would think that given his history of abusing her and the facts of her shooting would be an automatic arrest, but you'd be wrong because they actually let Freddie go. Which is, again, just so wild. After he's let go, he went and got up with the girl he was cheating on Kim with from the motel. He got Kim's debit card and took out all the money from her account and overdrafted her card. And her aunt told us that Freddie knew Kim didn't have life insurance and that the family would have a hard time paying for her funeral. But he took the last bit of her money anyway. And her family had to end up setting up a GoFundMe account for her funeral. So, you know, around this time, Freddie's out living his life, spending Kim's money. And this is obviously really upsetting her family. And they knew that it was Freddie who killed her. So they had to end up staying on the cops. And this is what Aunt Ella said. Stayed on the detectives and stayed on them and stayed on them. Like, when I tell you, I know they was probably tired of hearing from me, even the DA, Matthew Scott. Mm -hmm. I, I'm i telling you, they was probably tired of hearing my voice on answer machines and messages left on their desk and everything else. Because I called and called and called. I was determined that. And I told them, I said, this is going to be not something that y'all just going to sweep up under a bridge. So finally, two months later, on August 20th, Frederick Kane was arrested and charged for the murder of Kim Smith. He's given a second-degree murder charge and a $200,000 bond. Which is honestly infuriating. You know, people get million-dollar bonds for drug charges. And just for a direct comparison, y'all might remember Julie Eberly, who was a mom of six on her way to vacation, who was shot and killed in a road rage incident while passing through Lumberton not that long ago. Her killer was arrested within a week charged with first-degree murder and given no bond, which means that he can't get out before his trial. And we never share these kind of stories to be like on some hater vibes, but we do share them to say that just like Julie Eberly, a white woman, got justice, the Kim Smiths of the world deserve the same justice. Freddie had beaten Kim for years. He clearly had bad intentions for her and he was planning to harm her and had, be and had actively been harming her for years. Second-degree murder really isn't fair in this case, and to me, this definitely involves some kind of premeditation. Right, especially if he already had that story lined up where he's saying that, you know, she shot him and that then she shot herself. Like, he had everything concocted, it seemed like, before there was a call to 911. Um, but this ain't shocking, though. I mean, we've said this so many times on this podcast, but just to reiterate... It's a proven fact statistically that you are more likely to get the death penalty if your victim is white than if they are black or native. You're more likely to be covered on the news if you're white than if you are native. In general, you're more likely to get the fullest justice possible if you're white. 
and brown, black, and native people deserve the fullest justice possible too. And I know that probably makes people uncomfortable, you know, to hear those facts stated like that. And it makes me uncomfortable, too. But it's the cold, hard truth, y'all. And that's part of why we made this podcast in the first place. Uh, We also wanted to mention another thing about Freddie also, y'all, that we haven't mentioned so far. So I mentioned earlier that... Um, He would write a lot of statuses on Facebook, not only about Kim, but also about his sister, Maribel or Bella, which was her nickname. And so when I was scrolling on his Facebook, I saw some posts that he said he missed his sister. And then I saw a bunch that said, free my mama and sister. And I was kind of like, oh, my God, you know what happened to them? So, Chelsea, I wanted to get your reaction to this. So can you just click this link that I have here? And I want you to just read the headline out to everybody. Yep, so the headline is Three Charged in Murder of North Carolina Woman, 76, Found in Burning Home. And, um, yeah, um, yeah, so it's really gut-wrenching. One, when you see three involved in murder, but then the age of the victim as an elderly person, um, being found inside of a murder, murder, oh, sorry, inside of a burning home. I can't even react properly to that. It's really sad. Yeah, so in 2020, his mama and sister and another man shot and killed a 76-year-old woman, y'all. Stole her money and her credit cards and then burned her up in her house. Well, and that's just a year and a half later than Freddie kills Kim. So his whole family is basically just in jail for murdering innocent people. And today, y'all, we want to wrap up the episode talking about domestic violence. I saw this status on Facebook that said, instead of wondering why women don't leave abusers, why not ask how the men get them to stay? Instead of putting the responsibility on the person being violated, beat on, cheated on, cussed out, why not ask what would make a man do this to a woman? And it's also crazy just to think about his Facebook statuses and how he's always proclaiming his love for Kim. And it just goes to show you that social media means nothing. And if Freddie had not killed her, Kim would be 26 this coming July. Her death has impacted her family in so many ways. When I mentioned to her Aunt Ella that I could tell that she had a great love for Kim, she said she was like mine. And I wonder how many others of us grew up with an auntie like that or, you know, somebody, an aunt who was more like a mama to us. Or how many of us are aunties ourselves and whose lives have been totally changed by children who aren't ours? And that's the exact same way that I feel about my own niece and nephew. Oh, I definitely feel that way about, you know, lots of my little cousins and definitely some of the aunts in my life. Right. Shout out to Paxton and Peyton. And I know you have a little niece named Jazz. Mm -hmm. Who listens to the podcast. (laughs) She'll be excited about the shout out. Aunt Ella also told us how she is having a really hard time in the courtroom, y'all. So let's just send her our thoughts and prayers. But she said that as long as the Lord gives her strength in her feet and breath in her body, she won't miss a single court date. And she's been so strong throughout this process. I look forward to the day when our women don't have to be strong all the time and where Native families' lives aren't ripped apart by violence. Thanks for listening, y'all. Source materials and show notes can be found on our website, redjusticepodcast.com. You can follow us on social media at Red Justice Podcast. 
We appreciate those taking the time to learn about Indigenous true crime stories and how they are a part of the foundation of our nation and reverberate throughout our Indigenous communities today. This is the Red Justice Project.